Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Yardana Osband, here with my friend, Chavruta and Gordon. Today, we will be discussing Shabbos Daf Yud 10. So this Daf, you know, takes us back out of our discussion of all domains, even a little bit of our discussion about what activities we can do, um, you know, close to Mincha. Uh, and it brings us back, I think, to some of our f- more familiar territory that we had in Brachot. Um, with some nice pieces about davening and what it means to be a person who's sitting to be uh, a judge for a court case. And it really kind of, it's one of these dots that was before we were seeing that we were kind of stuck on one topic for the whole dot. We seem to be moving very quickly from topic to topic. So I think today, Anne and I are just going to, you know, discuss a few of the items that we saw here. Um, Maybe because of the state of the world right now, and what's going on, I was particularly drawn to some of the items about tefillah, about prayer that were on this staff today. So I want to share one that appeared on Amud Aleph. Um, I'm a Ravashi. So Ravashi said, remember Ravashi is who we say redacted or actually compiled uh, the Talmud Bavli. Chazina Leila Rav Kahana ki ba'alma. So Ravashi says that when he would see Rav Kahana and that there was suffering in the world, shadeg gilmei ufachar yidei umitzaleh. He would remove his cloak and clasp his hands in prayer. And why would he do this? Because he would be like a slave before his master. So if you recall in the previous staff, we had a discussion about some of the items of clothing that many of the Amorayim would wear when they would pray, right? Some of them would wear special socks and shoes. Some of them would wear a special cloak. Um, But here we're saying something which is a little bit different, which is, Rav Kahana had a particular way that he would pray if there was um, suffering that he would see in the world. And what that was, was he would remove his cloak and he would clasp his hands because he wanted to look like a servant before their master. Ravashi continues and says, So, when there would be peace in the world, he would dress and cover himself and wrap himself in some type of special clothing and pray. And he would say that this was the fulfillment of a pasuk, right? Prepared to greet Hashem uh, Israel. So I thought this was just very, very beautiful because I think it recognizes that we pray out of different frames of mind. And, you know, we can pray sometimes because we're seeing suffering or we're experiencing personal suffering. And we can also pray because we see that there's peace in the world or things are good or we're satisfied with our life. But Rav Kahana takes it to a very different level. And he actually has a physical embodiment of what is being reflected in his prayer. He wears different clothing or actually when they're suffering, he removes an item of clothing. He puts his hands together in a different way. He physically moves himself in a different way when they're suffering. And when there's peace, He dresses himself in a way to reflect that. He puts on something um, that's sort of nicer and covers himself in that way um, because there he's saying he's no longer more of like a slave meeting his master, but more he's meeting God sort of in, in, uh, you know, in a respectful way, um, almost like in a glorious way of like celebrating God's glory um, that the world is in a state of peace. Um, So I thought that was one piece about it that was interesting to me, that Again, it's a physical embodiment of what the person is actually praying for. So, yes, we have different frames, different shifts of what we pray, but how do we represent that 
like with our actual bodies. And then I think the other thing, and again, this is probably just more reflective of my particular state of mind right now, is that obviously Rav Kahan experienced times where he saw suffering and then experienced other times where he saw peace, that things really can change moment to moment, week to week, month to month. Um, I guess when I read this, I pray that things will be changing in the world soon. Um, mm-hmm. But I just loved, I love this piece here today that really talks about that we really can um, approach God from different frames of mind and that our approach to prayer is not always going to be the same and it will be impacted by what we're feeling and observing in the world. So I find Rev Kahana to be one of these like models that depending on who you are is a model, like a role model that you could kind of reach for or a role model that is so far in a different plane that it becomes very difficult. And I think that that, beca- that depends on, you know, each person's individual relationship with tefillah. And I think that one of the most valuable things I ever, I don't know, encountered as a thought about how people are I, with religiosity altogether, but particularly I think with tefillah is that people say, many people, I don't mean Rav Kahana, uh, cycle through that there are times when there's profound connection to tefillah and there's other times when, you know, you might go through the motions or whatever. I, I don't mean that people stop praying, but that the the internal connection uh, shifts. And, you know, you might think that it's always a matter of like, well, in time of great need, that's when people's connection to tefillah is the strongest. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think that the cycles, that the way people connect is, I'm not sure it's as, as predictable as all that. And then I think there are people like Rav Kahana who embody it and that so if you are the kind of person who can reach for that kind of you know trying to be the kind of person who who lives tefillah all the time then he's a good role model and otherwise I find him to be a little bit intimidating um but one one thing I'll add to that before you go on maybe what we could learn from Rav Kahana if that does feel intimidating is that maybe if we do change sort of physically how we approach prayer it will shift something in us internally. Like I was approaching it from the other way, that it was a physical manifestation of what you're, um, you know, of what you're feeling inside. But maybe it's supposed to teach us the opposite approach, which is if we dress differently, hold ourselves differently, we'll be able to channel what it is we should be channeling at that moment in our tefillah. I mean, I think there's something to that, certainly. You know, like if you, when you put yourself together and, you know, no matter what you're doing that day, especially as we have all these people in, in quarantine these days. Right. So a lot of people are saying like, it's important to get dressed every day. Don't be in your pajamas every day because you'll be more productive. Exactly. And, and when you think about it, what that means when you come to pray, like, okay, so you're going to be dressed when you come to pray. I mean, that's li- discussed later on the, on the DAF, right? You're going to be dressed, but are you going to be wearing, you know, a robe? Or are you going to be wearing, you know, you got dressed nicely because you're going to pray. Rav Kahana would have gotten dressed nicely. See. Yes. Um, okay, so I'm going to go to the next bit right after this, um, where I think it's a very powerful passage for me, because it's exactly where there's the potential for conflict between how we spend our time. Do we spend our time in Tzilah or do we spend our time in Talmud Torah? Rava Chaziel Rav Hamnuna. Rava saw Rav Hamnuna de Kamarich Betzlute. Rav Hamnuna was davening at great, greater length than the rest of the Chavra. Amar, Rava said about Rav Hamnuna, he's setting aside Chaye Olam, like the, his ability to be Kone, to acquire um, the world to come, and is delving into, you're spending his time on the life of, of, of just now, uh, the temporal life, meaning there's this conflict between Talmud Torah, which is the way through which people are supposed to be able to 
be kona, to be able to be acquire olam haba, the world to come, or you know, eternal life, let's call it that, or are you engaging in temporal life, and that's davening. Now, one of the reasons that this is such a profound passage for me is that I actually once had a teacher who was displeased that people were coming late to her class, and the reason they were coming late to her class is that they were, you know, davening in the morning, her class was early in the morning, I don't mean crazy early, just first thing in the morning, and people came late because they were busy davening, and she rebuked them with this passage saying, oh, oh you want chaye sha'a, when you could be getting chaye olam, like it was really very uh, harif, it was very sharp, and, and it made a very powerful impression, meaning her point was not don't daven, her point was daven earlier, don't, don't, um, don't lose your Torah learning time for the sake of, da- of tefillah. Um, I think that some people would disagree with that, right? That some people find tefillah to be the essence of their service of God. But this, this passage of the Gemara prioritizes Talmud Torah. But Rav Hamnuna saw this differently from Rava, right? Rava says, you should be learning Torah, not davening. And Rav Hamnuna says, no, there were different times of day that they don't conflict, that there's time for tefillah and there's time for Torah. And and then, so you're fine as long as, as long as you're in your pocket of time for whatever you're going to be doing, then then you're fine. You're, you're not conflicting and you're not missing out on the one for the sake of the other. Rabbi Yirmiya Haviyatif Kameh Rabbi Zera Vava Aski Bishmaita. So then Gemara goes on to the next generation, right? Rav Yirmi was sitting with Rav Zera and they were talking halacha. Nagal itzlulei v'hava kamasarev Rav Yirmi. So it was getting time to daven. And Rav Yirmi started hurrying so that they could, you know, get to the davening part. Kariyale Rav Zera, Masir Ozno Mishmoa Torah, Gam Tvilato Toeva. And Rav Zera, you know, then is sharp. He speaks sharply in rebuke to Rav Yirmiya. It's a pasuk from Mishle, where he says, it says, Mesir ozno mishmu'a Torah, gam If you turn your ear away from Torah, then your tefillah becomes a toeva, is an abomination. Now, again, this is very harsh rebuke, but the idea is that, like, if, you, if you're not focused on the Torah that you're learning when you're learning it, then how can you think that you're, your tefillah, you're reaching out to God, is has any value when you've been dismissive of the Torah that that same God gave you. Um, and yeah, I, like, so I, listen, as I said, I think different people relate to different aspects of Ju- Judaism and some people connect much more to tefillah and some people connect more to, to Talmud Torah and, right, some people will connect to chesed, right? There's all different ways that we, we approach God in our actions and in our study and so on. Um, this passage is very clear that Talmud Torah, when we say Talmud Torah connected Kulam, that's what this is. This is the place where, you know, because if you cannot be steeped in your actual Torah learning, then everything else you do when you turn to God is kind of dust. And it's not very nice, but I, you know, I, I it makes a very powerful point. Well, I, two things I would say about this. One is I was struck by, it makes sense that Torah is the manichin chaye olam, right? That it's sort of the uh, abandoning, you know, what's supposed to be olam haba or your eternal life. And, you know, and that tefillah is characterized as by chaye sha'a, right? What you're engaged with in your sort of temporal life. But I, 
I don't know. I always think of, but that's kind of interesting to me because I think we think of tefillah as somehow being sometimes a little bit more spiritual than Talmud Torah in a way. Right. And so that was one thing that struck me about this, that, but then it made me think, rethink like, yes, tefillah is meant to really be engaged of your day to day, like what's actually present in your life now. And Talmud Torah, therefore, is really what this passage is teaching us. That's we're really existing on a very different spiritual plane. So it's almost like tefillah is necessary the way eating, drinking, going to the bathroom. It's like just something you have to do because it's what a part of what we just do with Chaye Shah. Um, and well, that, and that I mean, Talmud I Torah it... is what's spiritual. So I thought that was interesting oh, for me. Well, wait, let me, let me, I, I, I like your characterization here, but I want to just take that bit about the the momentary aspect of tefillah a, a little bit further. I think that if we think about it as something that you're supposed to be very much in the present of it, right? Which is also true for, let's say you have a good meal, right? Like when you're done with that good meal, you have a memory and then you don't even, right? Like you're in the present of it that it's good, let's say, right? And when you're davening, you're connecting with Hashem, you're reaching out to Hashem, whatever it is that you're doing in your tefillah, it's your essence in that moment of it. And the difference I think between Talmud Torah and tefillah is that Talmud Torah is not just in the moment of it. If, if all you're doing when you're learning is hearing something transitory for that moment of it, then that's not what we call Talmud Torah. At least not the, that's not what this passage of the Gemara would call Talmud Torah. I, I don't want to disparage, you know, there's so many different ways that people learn. But the, the Gemara here is talking about a very specific kind of learning where you're internalizing it and running with it and it, and it changes who you are, like, you know, in a, in, in a way that you carry it with you differently from, I mean, I think that in, intensive tefillah can change who you are also. And I think that Rav Hamnuna is legitimate, right? He says, these are different, these are not contradictory realms. These, these each have their own place. So, you know, there's a tension here that I think is true, right? It's important to understand that when we're coming to wor- worship God in all our different ways that we do so, um, you know, there's, there it doesn't have to conflict. Right. And if it does conflict, so then you, then there's a matter of prioritizing, which is exactly what Rava wants Rav Hamnuna to, to do. Right. And then I, and I what Rabbi Zayra wants Rabbi Yirmiya right. to do. And I want to defend Rabbi Zayra a little bit because in the context of the discussion of our Mishnah, which is really about activities that we want you to not start before you dive in Mincha, but the Mishnah right. says very explicitly, but if you start them, they either are of enough importance or we recognize they're just part of what you have to do during your day, you know, aimat seekin. You don't stop in order to daven. And that's basically why I think Rabbi Zera is so critical of Rabbi Yirmiya, because Rabbi Yirmiya sort of rushes his Torah, rushes his learning in order to get to davening. And we really see very clearly from our Mishnah that's not necessarily something that you're really supposed to be doing. And this illuminated the Mishnah to me in a different way, because maybe really what that Mishnah is saying when it says aimat seekin, for um, for tefillah is that because if you do interrupt, your frame of mind won't be correct for davening. And I certainly have personally had that. You know, I, I mentioned yesterday, you know, sort of that rush to daven mincha, especially on like those short winter afternoons. So I think, you know, again, I won't speak for everybody here, but, you know, when you sort of like you're squeezing, a, a, you know, shachris or mincha in and you're rushing, I don't know. It's not, you're not necessarily really davening the way that you're supposed to be davening. And maybe that's also what Rabbi Zera is really commenting on. And maybe that's why, that's why the Mishnah paskins that way. Whereas opposed to Kriya Shema, 
you know, which is kind of more just reciting a particular verse and is really just saying, you know, sort of our, uh, a declaration of faith, that may be easier to sort of shift into a certain frame of mind, or it certainly takes shorter to do than the frame of mind that is required for tefillah. And maybe that's why you are mafsikin for that. You can interrupt for Kriya. You should interrupt for Kriya But for tefillah to interrupt for it, it's rushing or it's sort of undermining the purpose of tefillah. It's, you know, in a way. Even though I know that Rabbi Zayar also- is more here defending the Talmud Torah. But, you know, I was looking at it a little bit from the perspective of the, of the davening as well. Right, but but Kriyashma, right, and the brachot of Kriyashma, you know, there's a perspective that says that is that counts as a minimal amount of Talmud Torah. So, so the idea that you have a very set time that you must say Shema by, and that you would interrupt your activities for the sake of saying Shema, right? That was what we saw before, also in the Mishnah. Then, then it makes sense if we're going to if we're going to pit Talmud Torah against Tefillah then Shema is in the category of Talmud Torah, even though we associate with associate it with the prayer service, right? Um, I, I I hope that we don't have to pit one against the other. I hope that we're able to find the time to do both. Um, but I I appreciate this discussion or the two discussions here between Rav and Rav Hamnuna and then Rav Yirmi and Rabbi Zera. Um, you know. It's a hard thing to say, but I think that nowadays we're so concerned with everything kind of working out nicely. Everybody's got, and I believe this, right? Everybody's got a different perspective and different perspectives are certainly legitimate and so on. And here we see them say like, no way, man, Talmud Torah wins. And that's that. Like if you are, if you are not focused on your Torah, then the tefillah that you're about to embark on doesn't count for anything good, right? Or to Rav Amnuna, like, you know, what are you worrying about? your life of the moment, if you could be focused on olam haba or the eternal life, right? And and the idea that there is something, that there's a hierarchy of values here, um, I think is, you know, I think it's important for us to take note of. I think it's a little bit refreshing. And I think that I can certainly, I certainly know people who would say, Mapitom, like that, that connection with God that comes from tefillah certainly outweighs Talmud Torah, at least for some people. Um, but but not here, meaning not not that's not the that's not the message of this Gemara. Exactly, yeah, exactly. I, it it definitely has a different message here, but it, there's a lot to unpack here. It's not such as I think it's one of those Gemaras you read and you think, oh, it's very simple, but it actually is very deep. That's our dot for the day. Uh, please uh, leave a comment for us on our Facebook page. You can find us on all major podcasts. Thank you for Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Um, and until tomorrow's death, go.